Coming up on Studios America, David Harsani doesn't want us to turn into Europe, and he's here to tell us exactly why. Mike Rowe has a few ideas as to why Americans are vacating their workplaces, and the left wants you to doubt your own eyes and ears as they continue to push their sinister doctrine into our schools. So let's do the CRT cover-up. Stu does America. You know, if you have something you think is important that people need to know and understand, you should be proud enough to say what it is. You certainly would be proud enough to admit that you want people to learn it, right? Yet, that's not what's going on with CRT. And we keep seeing this ongoing pattern of behavior in the media and on the left, basically denying CRT either exists at all or is being taught in schools. And we have so many examples of it. It, it, it just seems bizarre that you'd even attempt this approach. Uh, Minnesota uh, representative, a Democrat, Uh, Dean Phillips said this to CNN. I'm saddened by the fact that we aren't able to generate a narrative that is more truthful about what's going on because critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or high schools. And it's time we start articulating that a bit better. I don't know that articulating it better is going to make much of a difference because you know what? It's just not true. If it were true, perhaps articulating it would be a good idea but it does not seem to be true at all. I want to get into some of of that on today's program. Let me give you another example, though, of the sort of weird denials going on. This is a clip from CNN the other day. Parents know it's been, their kids are being indoctrinated with critical race theory in Virginia, and the Democrats wanted to deny it. I mean, and so well, it's the not parents in the curriculum. showed up because they don't like being just, lied I mean, to. Just, just to be clear, it's not, it's not in the curriculum. Um, in Virginia. Uh, just oh, just to oh, be... Oh, Brianna, would you like me to... Here, let me just read you a few things. Just to... In 2015, while Terry McAuliffe was governor, the Virginia Department of Education promoted incorporating a critical race theory lens in education. You can still find it on the Department of Education's website. still there. In February uh, 2019, a superintendent not, memo for the Virginia the... Department of Education promoted Senator, critical race theory and not... the idea of white fragility. It's not... It's not I part of the curriculum. yesterday. <laughs> what do you... It's not part of the curriculum. Why are if this is such an important thing for us to understand, why are you denying that it's in the curriculum? Now, you, there's all sorts of technicalities. You can try to get yourself uh, off on there. But why not just be clear about it? It's interesting because critical race theory is become this technicality now. It's not the to- everyone understands what we mean when people say uh, critical race theory. Chris Rufo is kind of the one who uh, popularized it. He's been on the show many times. And he was the one that I think was able to crystallize this ongoing concern of parents. He didn't invent this, uh, this controversy, as many on the left try to assign to him. He just pointed out, hey, we all know this is going on. We're all seeing it in our kids' schools. And this is sort of the germ of it. Um, another thing you could call it, I guess, is anti-racism. But the problem with that term is people think if you're against anti-racism, you must be a racist, which, of course, is not true. Critical race theory summarizes the teachings that go into anti-racism in all these surrounding areas pretty well. And now people understand it. And the left hates that. 
you know, it, it's the same way that for a while, um, you know, people kind of coalesced around opposing Common Core. The Common Core has a bunch of different uh, facets to it. Some of them honestly aren't even bad. I mean, some of them are fine. Uh, a lot of it isn't fine, though, and parents wanted to push back against it. It didn't mean that Common Core particularly was in even every one of those school districts, though it was in a lot of them. It was an idea to to push back against that style of teaching. And and this is is the same sort of movement. It's come from parents, not from parties. It's come from concerned people who look at their kids and say, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't tell them that their skin color is the most important facet of their existence. Kind of a crazy idea. Um, This is an op-ed from uh, the Washington Post that Chris Rufo pointed out. Uh, This is November 8th. Trump labeled any effort by schools to address systemic racism as critical race theory, which is not taught by any K through 12 systems. That's a broad statement, but does take as its starting point that racism is baked into American institutions. Now, the very next day on November 9th, Washington, the Washington Post ran an op ed. And let me give you a section of that. This is demonstrably false. Virginia's Loudoun County public schools, which were ground zero in the debate over the role of parents in their kids' education, paid $314,000 for critical race theory coaching for its teachers from the Equity Collaborative and a consulting firm that turns critical race theory into practices for building more equitable learning environments. In its presentation, Introduction to Critical Race Theory, Again, you can try the technicality stuff, but like they even use the words in a lot of these things. Introduction to critical race theory. The equity collaborative instructs teachers that racism is, quote, an inherent part of American civilization and attacks the ideas of colorblindness, attacks the idea of colorblindness, the neutrality of law, incremental change and equal opportunity for all. While for maintaining whites' power and strongholds within society. It also questions the idea of meritocracy, which allows the empowered to feel good and have a clear conscience and concludes with a breakout session for teachers to discuss how might you use CRT to identify and address systemic oppression in your school, district, or organization. They don't even try to hide in the actual documents that they're using CRT. You don't need to suss out some weird racism teaching uh, or some strange thing pushing back against Western society and the enlightenment to point out that critical race theory is there. They're saying it's critical race theory. They're saying it's CRT. I mean, think about, think about a country that is pushing back against the idea of meritocracy. This is a fundamental building block of Western society. And we're pushing back against meritocracy. This is bonkers. This exact group, by the way, the Equity Collaborative, uh, their leader said, I think uh, the thing public education offers, because I certainly don't think we offer learning, are relationships. What historically high schools were for dissemination of uh, information very quickly. Well, actually, the Internet is better than high school uh, is for that. Truthfully, the teacher uh, in relation to dissemination of information is obsolete. This is the people teaching your kids. These are them. Uh, the, the teacher in uh, relationship to, re, uh, to relationship is the thing. So it's not about teaching. It's about relationships. To change adults, sometimes I wonder whether it's even worth it. Sometimes you're just like, forget it. 
they should go. They should just get out of the way. Kids change much faster. Adults are in the way. Does that feel like you parents out there? Do you feel like you're in the way of your kids education? Is that the type of society that you want where equity experts come in and tell you what is right for your kids and you have no feedback? I could tell you this. Virginia decided they didn't want it. They, they made a very loud statement and said, you know what? Sure, we're a plus 10 blue state or at least a plus seven or eight blue state on a normal election. But we're going to go with the Republican. Why? Because we don't want what the left is pushing here, particularly in our schools. That was a big part of it. John McWhorter uh, had a, uh, an op-ed in the New York Times. And um, it's pretty amazing. He says, look, this, this controversy between are they teaching CRT is pointless. You want to call it CRT light? You want to call it CRT junior? Fine. He gives some, uh, some, uh, some uh, uh, examples of this. And it's kind of shocking. Under this approach, what alarms many parents and other observers is that kids will absorb the idea that it is enlightened to see white people as potential oppressors and black people as perpetual victims of an inherently oppressive system. That it is therefore appropriate to ascribe certain traits to races rather than individuals and that education must center the battle around, uh, excuse me, against powerful differentials between groups and the subtle perceptions that they condition. In Virginia itself, again, this is a big controversy, largely around Virginia, but it's all over the country. We've, we've covered on this show dozens of examples of this around the country. Here's some more for you. In Virginia, uh, the Department of Education's website has a, play, a page devoted to anti-racism in education. At the end of the long list of terms and definitions, it reads, drawing from critical race Theory, the term white supremacy also refers to a political or socioeconomic system where white people enjoy structural advantage and rights that other racial and ethnic groups do not, both at a collective and an individual level. 2022 draft revision of the California Department of Education's mathematics framework has a chapter on teaching for equity and engagement. Uh, goes through a bunch of details as John uh, summarizes. It's a truly artful way of saying that diverse kids should not be saddled with the onerous task of having to get the actual answers in math class. Math. This is not theory. This is not even not even study of history where maybe there's some disagreement about why things happen. This is math. Racism in math. They are telling you that numbers are racist. In February, the Oregon Department of Education sent an update to math educators that uh, linked to a document titled A Pathway to Equitable Math Instruction, Dismantling Racism in Mathematics Instruction. Contains a section on deconstructing racism in mathematics instruction, positing that white supremacy culture in the mathematics classroom can show up in a variety of ways, including when preconceived expectations are steeped in the dominant culture. (laughs) Superficial curriculum changes are offered in place of culturally relevant pedagogy and practice. Students are required to show their work in standardized prescribed ways. Yeah, math is pretty standardized. Two plus two is four. There aren't other acceptable answers to that. I know, I mean, how? How steeped in culture do you need to be to be afraid of someone telling you two plus two is five? 
You don't need to be so well read to get to that one. Two plus two is four. It will always be four. It's been four since the beginning of time. And there's no other racial explanation as to why it's five or anything else. It's four. Teaching racial inequity in math is just it's an excuse. And honestly, it's a it is a racist tendency by the left to say to the left, you know what? You can't expect expect minority children to get these answers right. If you expect them to get these answers right, you're a racist. You're holding them to an unfair standard. God, that's just completely ridiculous. And I don't use this term lightly. Anti-American. It is anti-American. It's against the foundations of this country. It's against the promise of this country. It's against the American dream. And the answer for this so far is not to not to catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, you're right. This went too far. Like we want racial uh, harmony. We want uh, we we see some inequity. We see some inequality more directly. And we want to help cure that over time and make sure that kids understand that they're equal. And, you know, we were going for colorblind and maybe we overshot the goal. That's not that's not the idea. The idea is to come out and tell you that it's not CRT. CRT doesn't exist. These are not the droids you're looking for. Don't worry. These are not This is not the BS racial nonsense you've been looking for. We have a responsibility in this country, and part of it is because of our dark history on race. We haven't always been so enlightened in this country, nor have we been enlightened all around the world. We've done better than a lot of other places around the world, and no one ever wants to talk about that. We are the most diverse, tolerant country that has ever existed. And yeah, that's true. We're going to have an interview coming up with David Harsani on tonight's show. He has a whole chapter in his book about tolerance, the tolerance of Europe. Go look at the tolerance of Europe and you tell me you want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. We have a responsibility to make sure we are not telling our children that their skin color is the most important thing about them. What is the other side of this look like? How, let's just say, We are successfully able to convince uh, millions of white children that the most important thing about them is their skin color and the place they get all of their power is their skin color. What does that look like when they grow up? Do you want millions and millions of adults who have been taught and drilled into their head that power comes from white skin? Is this... Does anyone see a problem with this outcome here? Is that something we want? We are never going to be perfect when it comes to race, nor anything else, by the way. We're human beings. But what we can do is stand up and treat people as individuals. Racism is collectivism. They're one and the same. We need to look at our country and judge the merits of individuals. Treat people as individuals. Never ever in your entire life, not once, make a decision based on skin color. That is a pretty easy commandment to keep in our lives. And we should all do it. We should never avoid that one simple golden rule. Don't do it. Don't do it. And now we have a society and and millions of dollars flowing to people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, you know, looking at projects and, and, and treating them seriously, like white fragility and anti-racist training, anti-racist baby books they have out there. We're taking that seriously and we're pushing people down a road that we do not want to see the end of. 
Let's turn around before it's too late. So it's Friday, and Friday is, uh, you know, it's a day that ends in a Y. So we should probably spend a couple trillion dollars later on today. You know, I like to spend a few trillion dollars from the government every single day just to keep on our toes. If you think it's a bad idea to, uh, you know, to spend like money grows on trees, um, if you don't want to be like the government, if you're worried about the inflation impact uh, from all of these spending bills that are going on right now, you may want to protect your savings and you should really consider diversifying your savings into physical gold. It's a big part of the package. Um, and you could talk about physical gold, physical silver with Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold Group has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands and thousands of satisfied customers. Right now, thanks to a little-known section in the IRS tax code, you can legally move your IRA or 401k into precious metals. This is something that should be part of your portfolio. Investigate it. Do your own homework. Make sure you understand uh, the risks and the rewards. But you can get started with protecting your savings in a gold shelter, uh, gold uh, uh, with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Um, request a free info kit from Birch Gold by texting the word STU to 989898. There's zero cost and zero obligation to request this info, so why wait? It's STU, S-T-U, to the number 989898. It's a simple text. Get this free information, uh, and they'll give it to you, uh, you know, um, so you can really understand uh, how this process works and how you can make it work for you. Uh, request the free info kit on gold now by texting STU to 989898. I'm happy to welcome David Harsani to the program. He's a senior writer for National Review and author of the great new book, Euro Trash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. It's available now wherever you get your books, so make sure to grab a copy. Dave, thanks for coming on the pro- program. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The book is fantastic. It is just just packed with so many good, uh, so much good stuff in there. Great stats, great quotes. I mean, it really is. Uh, it really is thorough. Um, and I, it struck me as the villain in this story is not necessarily Europe. You call Europe the second greatest place on earth, but it's the Europhile. So, what defines the Europhile? Well, I guess it's someone who elite or an, uh, some kind of academic or pundits and increasingly politicians who think that Europe, you know, is just bubbling with great ideas and that we need to look over there, uh, you know, for our solutions. But more than that, that, you know, they just believe Europeans are sophisticated and that Americans are slack jawed yokels, you know, clinging to guns and Bibles. Uh, but but people who say that in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a compliment in some ways. Um, in some yeah, certain yeah. circles, in certain circles. Um, so uh, let's go into some of the uh, the points that are made. We've we've heard some of these before. You you really break these down really well. Um, let's go first to the Scandinavia. This is kind of the the peak of of modern society. If you listen to a Bernie Sanders or others, um, you have a, a situation where we're told they have the highest achievement, they have the best societies. Why is that, and is it true at all? I don't think it's true at all. Uh, I mean, I think they have very, uh, they have a very cohesive social system and high levels of trust, and they have very, they have fine societies. It, it should be mentioned, though, you know, that they're not socialist countries, as many people here believe. They are. Um, they have, some of them, like Denmark, have quite uh, liberal, uh, you know, classically liberal systems and and, and vibrant capitalism. 
But they do have giant welfare states that are propped up by the capitalism, which undermine more innovation and, and more movement within society and, and, you know, things like that. So, um, but, you know, they're they're not happier. I mean, you they, liberals like to show these polls where they say that Scandinavians are happier. Yeah, Scandinavians always say they're happy. You ask them, they're going to be happy. And Americans, you ask them and they're going to complain. <laughs> it's more a societal thing than anything else. Um, but when you quantify all the things that they have and we have, we are we are as, as wealthy as they are and as free as they are. And, uh, you know, and in, in almost every level, we're just as good as they are. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. You uh, you mentioned in the book uh, that there's no minimum wage in some of these countries. Like uh, th- these are like these would be this would be shocking, I think, to anyone who supports Bernie Sanders and sees him talk over and over again about how great these places are. There's no minimum wage and they're relatively economically free societies. It's easy to start a business. There's not tons of regulations around some of these some of these areas. Can you go into that? And, and, and what don't people here understand about this area? Well, it's true. I mean, to be fair, you have sort of industries who negotiate with unions to deal with their own uh, minimum wages, which is actually a far better system than the one that we want to create here, where there's just this flat minimum wage for all industries. You know, it doesn't take into account what your job is worth. I mean, as we both know, of course, the minimum wage is actually zero, but mm-hmm. they, you know, at least have a flexible system, whereas what we what they want here isn't. But yeah, I mean, they, free trade, I mean, with other countries, things like that, they're, they're they're quite liberal, you know, in the in the small l sense there, especially Denmark. Um, you know, it's not a socialist society, but the, I mean, you know, it depends how you, you define that. But it's not like the the government uh, is owns businesses. Uh, but more than that, the thing that Bernie Sanders and AOC never seem to talk about is that there's incredibly high levels of taxation, and not just of the rich, but of the middle class, of lower classes. Everyone's paying like sixty percent of their um, salaries right off the bat go to taxes and there's VAT, you know, consumption taxes and all kinds of other taxes. And, and they're fine with that because this is the sort of system they like, uh, that is not just a dependency for the, for the poor, but dependency for everyone on the state. I just don't think that works here. You can't scale that system here. Moreover, um, we, we, we've had revolutions over less levels of tax, you know, lower levels of taxation than that. You know, no one wants to raise middle class taxes. So it's just not a, a system that could even work here if we wanted it. Uh, it's it really is. You break that down really, really well in the book and, uh, and go into great detail. You also go into uh, into immigration. We were told that Europe is open minded. They will allow people uh, to come in because they don't hate people that look differently from them. You spent some time on Sweden in particular <laughs> with immigra- uh, with immigration. It doesn't seem to be going all that well. No, they hate people. They hate all kinds of people. I mean, Europeans cannot integrate or assimilate a single ethnic group into their countries. And it's it's not all their fault. They have long thousand year histories um, of having one, essentially one ethnic group in each country. And, you know, the one group that wasn't like them, the Jews didn't fare very well in most of those countries at various points. So they, they really have no case to make here. Even today, you know, it's there's there's ghettos in Germany and France and elsewhere that are generational, you know, see generational poverty, generational unemployment, um, a lack of access to 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 the success that immigrants here have. I mean, I live in Washington, D.C. I live amongst all sorts of people from different places. They all get along and they all do very well. Uh, that's not the case in Europe. Immigrants have a tough time uh, 
you know, achieving there. So, you know, and as far as tolerance goes, I mean, it's you, you can see it in polling in Europe. They are not to- as tolerant as Americans. Americans are highly tolerant. People who understand that part of the experience here is living next to people who aren't like you because we're all immigrants. You know, that's a it's kind of a trope, but it's also true in the long, longer sense. It's not the case in Europe. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you talk about a lot about culture and how that really makes a big difference. I mean, you know, Swedish people tend to do really well in the United States, too. Uh, and you actually have a really amazing comparison of Somali immigrants, Somali immigrants that go to Sweden as compared to Somali immigrants who come to the United States. There's a pretty, pretty big difference there. And it actually works out quite well because Minnesota's high. You know, a lot of Scandinavians move to uh, to Sweden. So, uh you know, and has around 9 million people, 9 million people in Sweden, I think. And the, you know, big influx of Somali immigrants to both places. And in, in I forget, I'm probably going to get the stat wrong, but something like there are 80 Somali run businesses in Sweden. And in Minneapolis alone, they're like, I think it's 800 or something. Right. Yeah. So it's a huge difference because there's access for for immigrants here to succeed. There's a famous quote from Milton Friedman where someone told him there are, you know, there are no poor people in Scandinavia. And he said, that's great. There are no poor Scandinavians in America either. <laughs> when you compare groups, any group, they do better here. That includes groups that do well elsewhere, like the Japanese. You know, they're still richer here. Um, uh, Nigerians, you know, Indian Americans from India, so, so, uh, from Asia are incredibly successful. I forgot what their household income is, but it's near the very top. I mean, when you're given, you know, because it's a meritocracy here more than other places, you can succeed. It's it's quite simple. Yeah. And, and you know, you can also fail. And that is a big part of what you talk about, the success of America as far as the economy. At one point, you, you mentioned uh, America was conceived in risk. And I thought that was a great way of understanding the mindset that produces a country like this. First of all, thanks for reading the book. That's not always the case with people interviewing me. So, uh, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks. So the 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 truth is that uh, that there's a cultural difference. I talk a lot about policy, but Americans are just different. In America, most people, eighty something percent, want to be the boss. That's not when you ask Europeans that they don't. They don't want to be the boss. Like twelve, twenty percent want to be the boss. Um, they are happy to live in, in, in the comforts of a job that they know they'll have their whole lives, where Americans don't feel comfortable with that sort of world. They're risk takers. Now, of course, I'm generalizing, but in, 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 in generalizing, we have a nation of risk takers because just come here was to take risk. And then the people that sort of mindset is embedded, you know, embedded in the Amer- in, in cultural American attitudes of like failure is not looked as here as an end, it's looked at, at as, as part of a story of a mythology sometimes of how to succeed. Every single big tech guy or big, you know, famous entrepreneur always talks about all the failures he had to go through or she. So, um, yeah, it's just a different attitude and cultural attitude. And the more, the bigger you make the welfare state, the larger you grow these bureaucracies, the more help you get every, you know, every step of the way. People think that might think that's a good thing, but it actually undermines entrepreneurship and uh, the risk taking that makes America excel in every quantifiable way when you talk about economic growth. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a very popular podcast here, and I love listening to this podcast, How I Built This. And it's a story of, like, the founders of these companies and their struggles, and and that's always the best part, right? Like, I think as Americans, we, we want to hear those stories of failure because we can kind of all relate to them. And it's taking those, those steps to actually go out on a limb and take a risk and pursue something that you love and maybe watch it fail five or six times, but eventually you have that opportunity to actually make something happen. And the cultural differences between here and Europe are pretty striking. Yeah. 
One, one small example of that is our, our bankruptcy laws actually don't destroy a person, you know, forever when mm. he when he fails. So in Europe, they're at, they're looking here to try to reform their bankruptcy laws to make it to, to make it more like ours because of that. But, I, you know, that's just a policy thing. But I think just on a much deeper level, people think very differently here about the world. It's not just always about money. I, I try to stress this. It's about the sort of lives you want to lead. You can move into the middle of the desert. You can move to Alaska. People have lifestyle choices they make. And it's also about risking uh, picking yourself up and moving, which has always been an American trait. We move around a lot and we move really far, you know, quite often. We move, you know, all over the place. So that's important as well. Um, it, let me talk about healthcare a little bit with you here. Um, the, the, the common uh, criticisms of the United States, our life expectancy is uh, not as high as other countries. We don't care about poor people. Um, you go into you know, why the differences are life expectancy, and that's something we can touch on if you want. But also, I was, I was interested in, in the, um, the, you had a stat in there about how, uh, I think it's 40% of drugs um, appro- approved are orphan drugs in the United States. And I thought that was an interesting thing because big pharmaceutical companies get beat up all the time. They're like the, the you know, they're constantly tortured by our country for trying to cure diseases and such. Um, and I thought it was interesting that like, we are still not only producing things that make tons and tons of money, but also that, that serve really small populations at much larger numbers than our European counterparts. Well, yeah, a few things there, you know, first of all, about how selfish we are and the orphan drug thing is important to that as well. But I just want to mention an an average American gives around seven times as much charity as a as a a European does. Mm. And I'll tell you, it's because the state there, you know, they pay such high taxes. And and I would say, yeah, that's the problem. You know, the state decides where money goes. It allocates funds to things that it believes is important and not what individuals do. It's the same thing with pharmaceutical companies. Obviously, they want to make money and there's a profit motive um, and they charge a lot for these orphan drugs and things like that. But we are, you know, as far as medical innovations go, America by ever, again, every quantifiable measure uh, outperforms Europe in every way you can imagine. I mean, Germany is pretty good. Don't get me wrong, but America still outperforms them. We also have more access to more types of drugs. I have a stat in there. I forget the specifics always, but I mean, I think Britain does pretty well, but countries like Greece and Italy, they only get around 20% of the drugs that we have available here it's because the government controls the flow of these things. And we, and we wouldn't, shouldn't want that. I know people hate pharma companies because they're, you know, charged so much, but they're also saving millions of lives. And we, we, we shouldn't lose sight of that. That. If we had a European system, we would have far less medical technology, you know, than we do right now. And it strikes me, David, that that Europe could not exist with their system if it wasn't for us innovating in our system. Like you can't run their society if we're not creating all these new drugs and treatments and, and, and all the amazing stuff that's coming out of the United States. I mean, listen, they'd exist. They're, they're wealthy. I, I mean, I always say this, like if we were more like Europe, we would be. Um, we would still be wealthy. We'd still have drugs, not as many, of course. So we wouldn't have the, all the innovations. We would just be a far less innovative, entrepreneurial place. We'd be more insipid. It wouldn't be the freedom. There wouldn't be the risk. So we would be more like Europe, where, of course, they may, there's some innovations, but it just doesn't compare. Like the top... 30 uh, tech companies are, you know, only one is European. The top medical, you know, companies only, I think one is, you know, 30 or only one is European. So um, there's a reason for that. So you're right. Um, let me uh, go to uh, life here before we you, we go. You, 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 uh, well, for, I want to start with maybe my favorite story in the book, which is the tech entrepreneur who uh, has invented the Sarco 
Uh, <laughs> which is, uh, <laughs> this is an amazing story. Can you tell people about this? That's the guy who invented the sort of the suicide machine. Yeah. You can like a phone booth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and, you know, he's treated in in now. Where is he from? Was he from France? I forget what country he was from, but uh, maybe he's German. I forget. But uh, he um, is treated. You know, he's he, there were long profiles on him, glowing profiles. They almost make the euthanasia thing seem like a, a, a moral good, you know. And obviously it's a very it's a fraud issue with a lot of, you know, complicated moral questions. Um, but it is clear that Europeans do not take life as seriously. I mean, the, the way and I think it's tied into their loss of faith, frankly, uh, in general. But you, you see it on both ends. You see it with premature babies. And again, I, it, this is a generalization, but we do a lot more here to try to save the babies and uh, and to save and to make life better for, for the elderly. They keep pretending that they do that simply because they spend more dollars and that's how they measure these things. But it, it doesn't work that way. And just to go quickly back on the longevity thing, uh, you know, we live slightly less than Europeans do, but the reason isn't medical care. It's because we live more risk, riskful lives, right? We drive more, for instance, and a ton of vehicular deaths. We do have homicides worse than Europe and mostly because of guns. But, you know, that's the price you pay for the freedoms we have, I think, at least. It's a debatable point, I guess. But it's not because of the delivery of medical care. You know, there are other reasons for it. Yeah, yeah. You, in fact, you also talk about uh, you know uh, 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 fatality rates at birth, and you know you point out. I think it's France that has 22 weeks. They don't even count babies at 22 weeks. This week in Alabama, we uh, there's a story about a baby born at 21 weeks that would not even be counted as a baby in France under some of these rules. Yeah. Um, you, you, one last thing here, and maybe you can touch on this briefly because it, it touches the life uh, issue overall. Um, you say a pretty, a pretty amazing statement here that Europe is in the middle of one of the most successful eugenics experiments in history. That is uh, quite the statement, but I, I, the facts seem to bear it out. Yeah, I mean, Down syndrome children are eradicated there at very high levels through abortion, and they keep keep pretend it's not a hereditary d disease, and yet they keep pretending they've like cured the disease because they keep killing off people. I mean, th this is literally the this is literally the definition of eugenics, I think, and um, and it happens in uh, all over Europe. Unfortunately, th these trends that I'm talking about are all happening here as well, just much slower, but. They're still happening, um, you know, in Iceland and in, in, in other countries, even in Britain. You see a lot of this. It's it's um, it's quite uh, distressing, I think, when you think that we're headed in the same direction. But I think in some ways we are. Fortunately, we're a more religious country and I think we're we, we value life more. But you see a lot of the signs here. And that's that's what, why I wrote the book, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's it always seems like Europe's a few steps ahead of us on some of these darker trends. And it's important we don't go down these roads. The book is Euro Trash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent by David Harsani. David, uh, it's a fantastic book and it'd be a great, uh, great Christmas gift for someone who wants to actually look into this stuff. Don't read it during the holidays. Maybe wait a little bit until January. And so you can maybe uh, it might ruin a couple of your holidays yeah. if you go through some of the parts of it. But it's a fantastic book. And thanks so much for coming on and talking about uh, it. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me. So if you're trying to buy or sell a home in these times, you know it can be challenging. Uh, you know you need someone on your side to make sure when you go through a transaction like this that, uh, you know, 
you're coming out on the right side. You're coming out on the side uh, where you have the, the best price, uh, whether you're buying or selling a home, whether you can have someone that you can trust. I, I know one of the things that I always think about when you're, when you're buying and selling real estate is are repairs and you know design choices. Like you might think, hey, this is a wonderful electric blue for the kitchen. You need a real estate agent that's going to say, hey, maybe you just don't paint that room. Let them paint it. You don't need to do every single repair before you sell your home, especially in a market like this. It might be smart to save the money and just see what you can get for the house as is. A really good real estate agent can walk you through that process and let you know what the right steps are right and what's going to work in your particular area. But you need someone who's good, someone who's been screened, and you can go to realestateagentsitrust.com to find that person. Go there now and get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Itrust.com. We here at the evil empire of Blaze Media really appreciate uh, you guys and uh, the lengths you'll go to support conservative media in a system that obviously wants to destroy it. So as a special thanks for all of you, we put together a limited time discount code for Blaze Media's merchandise. This is for all the shows, but we uh, would certainly love you to buy ours because it's the best because I mean, we're awesome. I mean, come on. I mean, no one else has a don't be an idiot, don't be a LeBron, right? No one else has that. Um, from now till uh, Christmas Day, you can head to studosmerch.com. And there you can use the promo code STU20 to get 20% off all the items in the shop. It's a fantastic deal. studosmerch.com. The promo code is STU20 for 20% off all the items, and I'd say order them early because, you know, all the craziness that's going on with the supply chains. By the way, uh, you can also uh, watch all the episodes of this show on YouTube, youtube.com slash America. What you can't do there is dislike the show. It's no longer available to you. Well, it kind of is. Uh, YouTube is, is, still has the dislike button. But no, it's no longer going to show you how many dislikes a video has. It's going to show me when you dislike it. So thanks a lot. Uh, but I can tell you so far, no video we've ever done has ever been disliked. And I will maintain that's going to be the case going forward because you're not going to be able to prove differently. So that's the way I roll here on the show. I will lie to you if it will benefit me. Just a policy of mine, not something you need to be worried about. Uh, Mike Rowe, uh, he, now, of course, he's huge on social media as well, big on Facebook. He was on Fox News the other day. Uh, and he said, I thought some interesting stuff about the idea of work in this country. He said, there's something in us, it's the fault of our stars, you know, where we begin to re resent the very thing we rely upon. My career has been spent mostly trying to find the workers who are out of sight and therefore out of mind, just tapping the country on the shoulder and saying, hey, what about him? What about her? Check these guys out. The whole problem, this disconnect, this skills gap with 11 million open jobs, this isn't a mystery. This is a reflection of what we value. And our country has become disconnected from the kinds of jobs we're talking about now. We're not properly gobsmacked when we turn on the switch and turn the lights on and we flush the toilet and it all goes away. So it's no great mystery why our kids aren't eager to fill these positions. We take them for granted ourselves. Look, there are actually people who have skills out there. They're not all dopey hosts on YouTube, right? Um, some of them actually do things that are valuable to society. And we better make sure we recognize that because as we've seen, when the government provides some sort of floor where people don't have to work hard, but they can get their basic needs met, there's no incentive to work hard unless you think you're going to get yourself rich. Instead, you're really going to change your lot in life. And a lot of people are going to make the choice, you know what? Uh, free money from the government plus Xbox might be enough. And that's not, uh, that's not a good direction for our country to go in.
for Thanksgiving this year, maybe you'd like a dessert that isn't completely full of calories and sugar. Try a Built Bar. Built Bar has incredible flavors uh, that you can feast on something delicious without feeling guilty about it. We're talking about 130 calories, most of them, uh, four grams of sugar, uh, no no real uh, high level of carbs, uh, but they do have high level of fiber in them. They can fill you up and make you feel great. Even if you're like me and you're like, you know what? I love your diet talk and everything, but like it's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm going to eat whatever the heck I want. Maybe along with the leftovers the next day, you pop a built bar instead of another piece of pie. Uh, it's important to get back on track. And there's that period from now until Thanksgiving and then in between Thanksgiving and Christmas where you really got to watch what you're doing or everything can fly out of control. Help yourself with Built.com. Built.com is the place to go to get these things. Uh, the promo code Stu15. You'll save 15% off your first order. The promo code Stu15 for 15% off at Built.com. It's Built.com. This world is screwed up enough. So I'm saying this to the, the world, the universe. Don't you make me like Eric Adams. Don't you do it. Incoming mayor of New York. Now, I know he's going to do all sorts of crazy things. He's a Democrat coming into New York. And I know he's going to do things that are going to annoy us like crazy. But there's some really weird things going on there. Don't you make me like him. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, BLM seems to hate him. Okay? He's an African-American former cop. Doesn't want to dissolve the police department. BLM is critical of him like crazy. He doesn't want to defund the police. They hate his guts. That's number one. Number two. Eric Adams seems to really like crypto. He's a guy, he took, he's taking a few paychecks in Bitcoin. But more than that, he wants to make uh, New York into a crypto-friendly center of the crypto universe. He's embracing something innovative that actually takes power away from the government. And number three, and the most important reason by far, Eric Adams is not Bill de Blasio in any way. He's not Bill de Blasio. He's something and someone other then Bill de Blasio, which might be his most redeeming quality. Make sure to follow the show on Facebook while you're there and you hover over the follow button a little bit and you will see a, an option to make this show your favorite. We know you're doing this and we do appreciate it because it makes it so you can actually see the content that we do. We thank you so much uh, for doing that. You can comment on the show uh, as it goes on as well. We've been talking about the Rittenhouse situation and what a disaster the prosecution has been when they were trying to say, hey, why did you bring a gun if you didn't know you were gonna get attacked? Huh? Uh, Sean writes, uh, why would you wear a seatbelt? Were you expecting to crash into a vehicle? Did you fear that other drivers would intentionally crash into your vehicle? So why would you wear your seatbelt unless you expected to have a wreck? That's basically their entire argument on YouTube.com uh, slash Studios America. You can also watch the show. This one comes in as well about Rittenhouse. I expect the prosecution to ask him to put on gloves that are too small for him. That is basically where we are at this point. Thank you so much. Make sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And remember, when you rate this uh, podcast positively, you not only help this podcast, but you also hurt others. And that's the most important thing. Before we go, here's what happened. Guy gets into the Landmark Theater in Syracuse, where we've done shows before. And the staff sees him and then loses track of him, doesn't know where he goes. This is on a Tuesday. Apparently, he gets into a crawl space. He's up in the crawl space for a while. And then at some point, the floor drops out from under him. Somehow, he gets stuck in the wall for, like, multiple days. Eventually, they start hearing somebody in the wall, and firefighters come. They break the wall open. 
And the least surprising part of this entire story, when they find the man in the wall, he's obviously naked. Because that's the only way this story can end.